Hi, and welcome to episode 414 of the MWA podcast. I'm Kyle, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Brian and Mark. Today, we're visiting with Daniel Clay, professional chip carver and author of the new book, Chip Carving, Techniques for Carving Beautiful Patterns by Hand. So uh, welcome to the uh, show, Daniel. Great to have you. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome, Daniel. Welcome. Yeah. And Good to be here. Yeah, and I think professional chip carver may not give you justice in my introduction. More of a professional chip carving artist, I would say, because some of your work is just absolutely fascinating. Uh, but before we do that, let's dip our toes in the woodworking news. Um, there's not a lot this week. It's the doldrums of August. Um, we do have IW, IWF, whatever, IWF, IWF going on right now. So I'm sure upcoming, there will be a lot of new product announcements and things. I saw a couple of things from Shaper that looked interesting. But anyway, we do have a couple of items. First off, uh, Texas Woodworking Festival has announced when the next festival is going to be. And that's going to be August 26th and 27th of 2023. So uh, as we're recording this, basically a year from now. And uh, hmm. uh, that's all they have announced is the dates. It is going to be a two-day event. Uh, before, it was just a one-day or afternoon type event, kind of a uh, 10 to 4 type event. But it will be a two-day event, so that should be good. And for those that attended, um, or is it about 18 months ago, uh, the last Texas Woodworking Festival, it will be held in an air-conditioned uh, facility. So. That's that's great, especially <laughs> late August in Texas. Yes. Oh, yeah. What are, yeah. What's the uh, temperature coming up this weekend? Actually, it hasn't been bad here, but we've had a lot of rain um, and stuff yeah. like that around the state. But uh, yeah, normally probably Austin, at least a few degrees over a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Thankful for air conditioning there. Mm-hmm. So last time they had it, it wasn't bad. The place was fairly open and had some of those big fans, and they kind of had sort of air conditioning at the back of the venue, but it was bearable i'll put it that way so th this should be great um the only thing is you know we haven't had any woodworking uh conferences or festivals in quite a quite a while but we're now we're going to have the texas woodworking festival august 26 27th and i think we're going to have handworks like the Labor following Day. weekend september 1st and 2nd yeah that'll be tough for, yeah, for me, next, anyway. <laughs> next year, right? They canceled this year, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, we're talking yeah, 2023. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we're going for having nothing to them basically being back to back. So anyway, any um, any word that fine woodworking will bring back fine woodworking live? The last time we talked to um, uh, Ben, he wasn't. Uh, he didn't seem overly confident that it would come back anytime before 2023 so i'm assuming it's probably going to be at this point they would probably announce something because usually they had it in the um what was it It was in the fall so i assume it's, it's gonna ask that yeah 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 so you know it, it still could be in 2023 or you know 2024 we'll see hopefully they'll have it i know i know those things are not big money makers for them but they sure are a lot of fun for us attendees well, moving on, uh, Mark, did you want to follow up on the uh, Sloyd Fellowship Awards? Oh, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, so the every year um, they give away a, a Sloyd Fellowship. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's Yogi, uh, Yogi <laughs> Sundquist. Yogi Sundquist is, uh, yeah. I don't know if he, uh, I think he's just kind of in charge of the thing. There's uh, some some donors that provide these, um, these fellowships. But this year... Um, there was a, a woman from, I think, from Sweden, Anya Sundberg, mm -hmm. and uh, and Owen Thomas uh, got uh, received the fellowships. 
So we wanted to congratulate them uh, on this award. It's a big deal. It allows them to, the whole idea is it allows them to travel, to both learn uh, and and teach uh, the things that they know. And so it's a pretty big honor. Yep, exactly. I think they've only had 11 since uh, the award was established. So I guess this is 12 and 13. So that's fantastic. Well, congratulations to them. Definitely. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, let's move on to our Patreon shout out. Do we have someone to thank this week? We do. Uh, big thanks, as always, to our Patreon supporters. Uh, today, we're going to give a huge shout out to Scott Wisniewski. If you would like to support the MWA podcast, go to www.patreon, which is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash MWA podcast. Yes. And, and that's, yeah. uh, that's Sean's dad. Uh, you know, yep. I think this may be the first time that we've thanked him without it being Sean that did the thanking. So yeah. Yeah. Sean, Sean, <laughs> Sean had a little bit, some family stuff and uh, Brian is nice enough to fill in for him, but yeah, I forgot about that. Cause I always like making Sean think his dad. So um, anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I pronounced the last name right then. That would have been bad. Yeah, exactly. I just kind of just blur through it. But anyway, <laughs> thanks to Scott and all the patrons. Exactly. It. Thank you. Thank you all so much. Let's move on to what's in the shop. So Mark, what are you working on? I, I'm still working on shave horses. Um, I probably will say that for the next two or three episodes. <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> uh, just, just a little bit at a time. Um, our, our little one is back in school for the first time in two and a half years. So um, maybe the pace will pick up a little bit. Uh, I'm hoping because uh, I've got to clear the decks for this uh, this chair video project that's going to be happening next year. So that's that's it for me. How about you, Brian? Uh, I've been out of the shop for the most part. Uh, I've been traveling quite a bit for family stuff, Texas, Florida, Pennsylvania. Um, but I decided to um, you know try and move forward getting the garden uh, rehab done. So I have the entire lower half out uh, for those who aren't familiar, we have a, a humongous 32-bed raised garden. So uh, we were starting to get a lot of rot uh, with the uh, white oak beds that we had. So now I managed to put together a um, my first alu-zinc steel bed that's uh, supposedly going to last 20-plus years. So uh, I'm trying to map this out and sketch up to see because we're going to do some arbors between the, them to do for some climbing plants. Um, and I, I'm hoping, hoping I don't have to move too much irrigation around because that's that's a lot of digging. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, when I'm down there moving stuff around, because we live on a uh, our backyard goes up to a golf course. It's amazing how many golf balls are in the garden. I never really, <laughs> I never really reserved by the tractor. They're you know all over by the big mounds because we we used we moved all the soil to save it because it's like absolutely fantastic composted soil. And then uh, we just took down some trees uh, that were on the side of my house as well. And um, uh, we chipped those up, pine trees up, to, for, to do like a base mulch in the bottom of the beds. Because the beds are 32 inches high, so you don't have to bend over very much. But it's, it's a lot of soil. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, but I was proud of myself. You know, I don't do a lot of tree felling, but I managed, I took down seven pines. And um, three of them, I landed on the stumps of the one before them. So nice. I, they, they were already off the ground, so it was easy to chainsaw them apart. So I, you know, I kind of felt proud of myself. So <laughs> Shit, that's a, that's a good too. accomplishment. Yeah. <laughs> and more importantly, I didn't chainsaw my 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 leg or my my yeah. foot or anything. So I I want to yeah. hear about these uh, metal raised beds after you put them in because uh, we're having the same problem. We built some nice beds and we use cedar, and the cedar is all starting to rot now. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to convince uh, the head gardener and the family that we should do metal, but she's worried they're going to be too hot. So. Mm-hmm. 
and now I said, they, well, uh, yeah, they have a like a reflect. Well, I wouldn't say reflective, but they, you know, it's it's silvery. steel, and then yeah. it's covered in zinc, which is an anti-corrosion compound, and then they're painted, and they have some sort of I don't know if it's like a lacquer type thing on the end of that, um, and then they cover. The worst part about these beds is they come covered in a plastic that you have to get off. And oh. they're they're like reeded, so you have to like you know fold it over. It's almost like taking um you know when you get a new cast iron tool, if there's a, a layer of uh, whatever that cosmoline type stuff is, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so it's a pain in the butt to get it off. But no, the the beds will actually stay a little bit cooler because of the volume of dirt that's in them. Um, oh yeah. But in the in the contrary, in the winter they'll actually stay warmer because it they they um the sun will allow them to warm up and they won't have quite as much of the um the cold from the ground. Uh, you know, mm. so a lot of people will put on top of the raised beds. They'll put a almost like a little tiny mini lean-to that's uh, with like a you know, like a cheap screen door or something like that. Or I'm sorry, a storm door that points towards the sun. And people will grow lettuce even in Canada. You know, in their raised beds all winter long. Uh, you just gotta mm. go out. You just gotta go out there and take the snow off. Yeah. Wow. So yeah. So yeah, it's uh they're they're not cheap. Certainly not cheap. But uh you know that's why we're kind of that's one of the big reasons we're replacing the two two uh, segments just to keep costs down. Right. So. So. Well, is there any of the white oak that's salvageable for even firewood? Uh, well, yeah, I, you know, we went, I went kayak camping recently and we took a bunch of it with us and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. they were, you know, they, they brought their little logs they got from the little, uh, state forest shop mm-hmm. and that barely burned. And I threw this stuff on there and we had a bonfire like you couldn't believe. Uh, so yeah, we're, we are going to chop up some of the, uh, white oak, um, I haven't really found too many pieces that are going to be usable for anything beyond fire. firewood. Yeah. Fire, firewood or just, uh, you know, layering the bottom of the beds. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire you know, pit season's coming up. So Yeah. I mean, I found a fire ant colony. I found a regular ant colony and a yellow jacket's nest in there. So I was oh, taking God. these apart. So, yeah, they, they they tried to avenge me. That's best for sure. <laughs> yellow jackets are something else, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Kyle well. Well, well, I'd like to say, Brian, you know, I want to thank you for stepping in for Sean when he could make it at the last minute. Uh, but, you know, if you had bees, we would be completely set with you as the, <laughs> on the guest host side. Yeah. I'm the Brian of all <laughs> trades. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, no, for me, I've just been working on prototyping um, the leg leveling jig I kind of mentioned on the last episode uh, we had with Chris, or I guess two episodes ago. Um, so I've been prototyping that based on, uh, some comments that Mark made during the show about having a cantilever design. So I'm working on that. Um, and, um, but besides that, I haven't had a lot of time in the shop. Uh, but one thing I did get in is micro jigs half gauge. I think we talked about that. I don't know, a few months ago when they came out with it. And it's basically a little gauge that you can set on a piece of wood and it will, uh, determine, the half inch thickness of it. But not only that, it provides a little thing for you to set up your tools so you can take it to like a router table or table saw and move the blade or bit up to it to it hits the bottom of this gauge and you know you're halfway through the material. So it's great for like half laps and stuff like that. So um anyway, I've been playing around with that and yeah, it works as advertised. It's, it's pretty cool. If you cut a lot of that type of joinery or that do explains- a lot of, what? That explains my half lap. I was going to say, that explains the, 
Yeah, yeah, the way you were building that jig, <laughs> your prototype. I was like, man, he's Bridal going all out for this prototype. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, no, yeah. that's one. That's one of the reasons I, I I got it is so I could actually uh, do that without playing the guessing game of raising the lord the uh, uh-huh. the the uh, table saw blade. And yeah, it worked first time like a charm. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of interesting, kind of interesting little gauge. But uh, yeah, I also went to the half laps because you know my first prototype type or proof of concept was a proof of failure it just collapsed on me so i went all right we're doing half laps we're we're over building this thing and yeah i put a on the cantilever arm i put like a 25 pound dumbbell on with no deflection so i was i was proud i go this will stand up i could probably with that i could probably you know as i play around with this i can probably make that a little bit thinner but you know we'll see yeah but with that, uh, Daniel, what are you working on in your shop? Lots of things in the shop these days. Um, some of it having to do with the book, uh, some commissions that I'm trying to get out. I'm working on a, uh, a custom screen door, which is this, uh, for a family here in Knoxville, where I live. It's the second one of this design that I've built. I built them uh, a white oak a screen door with a, in, basically it's a enlarged Kumiko pattern. Um, in the you know covering the screen uh so i'm building them another one for a different part of their house um i'm in the finishing stages and i'm i'm matching it's a long story but the original was built out of white oak and i used uh rubio monocoats exterior stain and finish mm-hmm. and it worked great and i've been back over to their house um recently just to measure for the new door and uh it's not fully exposed to the weather but i was uh, honestly kind of surprised by how well it held up and um the there's no fading really which is the thing that i was expecting it's not in direct sunlight but uh it's a screen door in the south um so Mm -hmm. it gets a lot of moisture and um heat and um so i but the new door is made out of ash so i am trying to match the color as close as i can so i'm about to tone the wood before I, I do the final um, stain and, and finish on it to, to match this sort of uh, kind of whiny mahogany um, color of the original. Um, and then I have some wood uh, cut and stickered for a, a small carved chest that will be on a stand. Um, it's another commission that originally they wanted, they wanted a table, sort of a showpiece for an entryway in a house, and um, but it, it, it after talking to them, it, it became clear that they, they they wanted something that was carved, that was like a a showpiece, and they wanted the mm-hmm. top of this table carved, which is not unprecedented. But they were you know specifically said like we're not going to put anything on it. Um, I was like, okay, well, what about a chest instead of a table? You know, like something that's still traditional, it's still a showcase piece. It would traditionally be decorated with carving or painting or both or something like that. So um, I talked them into a chest instead of a table. So I'm doing like a small hope chest on um, uh, would probably be a white oak, possibly a walnut stand. And I think it's going to be, I'm not exactly sure what the chest is going to look like yet. Um, mm-hmm. kind of my MO these days is, uh, especially with things that are going to be carved. I, um, you know, I, I'll do some sketches before I do joinery, but I'm pretty sure it's going to be in the style of these, uh, SWAT Valley 
Hope Chest, um, uh, Tusk, Tusk, Tusk Tenon Joinery. Um, it's a kind of an odd construction. It's a cross-grain construction. So I'm going to do a few little things to make sure nothing goes crazy over the years with the cross-grain construction. Um, and it'll be carved um, with something. I'm not sure what yet. So. <laughs> well, 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 that's interesting. So how much, um, as, as far as your general woodworking, um, as, as opposed to carving, how much is that in, in your normal day-to-day -day shop? I mean, are you doing mainly furniture work, mainly carving, or 50-50? Or? It, it really just depends. Um, things have not, I wouldn't say I've had much of a normal since I was started writing the book. Um, mm -hmm. because I spent so much time at home designing projects, carving projects, um, taking photographs of projects, of course, writing the text, right. uh, rewriting the text, working with the designers and all that stuff towards the end. Um, and, and commissions really took a back seat for me during all of that, because I just didn't have the, I didn't have the brain power to think about, to be creative outside of, you know, um, explaining to uh, a reader how to be creative, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, and I, I'm lucky in that I work around a bunch of other woodworkers who are also really busy and I work out of a shared shop. It's like a co-working space, but for woodworkers and, and fabricators and all sorts of folks really. Uh, so I was able to pick up hours in the shop doing work for them a lot of the time on, uh, projects that, uh, I didn't really have to think about or design or manage. I just mm -hmm. show up and, you know, push wood through machines, um, which is <laughs> fine with me. Um, uh, so I'm getting back to what feels like normal now, which mm -hmm. is half of my life is um, <clears throat> sort of dedicated to, I, I use the umbrella term of teaching chip carving, but that really covers uh, right now promoting and selling the book, um, trying to, get my the the few chip carving products that I sell aligned with the material that's in the book. So redesigning uh, the practice boards that I've been selling for a few years to, mm -hmm. to look like the practice boards that are in the book, sort of streamlining my production process on those because I'm selling more of them now. Revamping my chip carving kit that I sell, which has been pretty, um, pretty, uh, it, it's the exact same tools that I use, but it's not branded particularly. It's not pretty, basically, because right. it's just a completely utilitarian thing for me. Just mm -hmm. you know, sell something to somebody that is exactly what I'm using, so that we're on the same page. So when they take a class from me or they send me questions or whatever, you're using a knife that I sharpened with the materials that I use to sharpen things. This is the wood that I get from my lumber yard that is milled and printed the way I print. The so you know what I mean? It's just where yeah. there's a one-to-one -one relationship between our tools and materials. So yeah, exactly. So if you do run into an issue, it's easy for you to diagnose on hey, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm revamping all that stuff to, you know, just streamline the production process, sourcing things a little bit different. I've actually this is I started thinking maybe I was crazy the other day because I started looking into making my own honing compound. <laughs> um, <laughs> like you do, yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Down the rabbit hole you go. <laughs> right. Oh, you wouldn't even believe it. Before I knew yeah. it, I was like on this, you know, rare earth pigment page, like website, you know, looking at <laughs> raw chromium oxide. And 
Where can I buy tiny It's really plants? not that hard. So you <laughs> may see some like uh, custom molded um, honing compound coming from me at some point in the future. So I'm working on all that stuff, which I sort of, you know, uh, put under the broad term of chip carving education, mm -hmm. right? And then the other half uh, is uh, what I do to pay the bills. And historically, for the last, since I became, since I went full time with woodworking back in 2015, that's been a total mix of things from uh, making small runs of boxes and home decor items, um, you know, some stuff that I would do at like Christmas markets, mm -hmm. uh, chip carved ornaments. Um, I did uh, several runs of these little shop boxes, which are a round uh, box with a uh, based on shaker um, bent wood boxes. And, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm seeing those on your Instagram feed. Those are beautiful. But yeah. then also furniture commissions sometimes, which could be anything from, hey, I like your work. I want you to design something. This is what my home looks like what what do you want to do to like this is my house everything we have is haywood wakefield uh i want a glass top coffee mm. table that matches my mid-century modern stuff uh i built you know like a custom sauna a few years ago i built a timber frame pergola uh, a couple years ago screen door uh you know it's just like mm. totally random because people find me through different avenues and I do a lot of turning down people who want me to come build them a deck on the back of their house. I'm like, no, no, yeah, I'm not, I'm not the dude. That <laughs> yes, I could do it, but like, find the guy who builds decks because he's gonna, yeah. he's the guy to hire. But know? but I can come back and chip carve it for you. Yeah, <laughs> the railing, right. chip carve the railing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then just add, to, yeah, do do a lot of these do a lot of these commissions. Uh, the bigger commissions, do they have chip carving work in them? I, you know, the boxes and stuff obviously would, but mm, not really. No, uh, I mean, I've done. Let's see, um, I've done a few small chip carving commissions that were not artwork. Um, and I've done. I did one cabinet several years ago, like a, a vanity cabinet that had a big chip carving on the doors. Um, but I haven't really done a whole lot of furniture that incorporates mm -hmm. chip carving. That's kind of on my, my, uh, um, that's kind of what I'm salivating over <laughs> the prospect of oh. the next book potentially is applications of chip carving and, um, it, uh, applying it to forms that I, I don't know how to exactly put this. There, there's a, there's like a renaissance of interest in traditional forms along with, traditional hand tool use so you know mm -hmm. boarded furniture um stick chairs spoons and bowls obviously um the kinds of things that pre-industrial revolution people made for themselves or so they bought from someone that they knew or whatever and then they decorated the daylights out of it in their home so there's this you know renaissance in uh interest in those forms and so it seems natural to me that people would eventually um you know start or decorating and adding ornamentation to it and you do see it i mean i feel like there's like a there's um a resurgence and in interest in ornamentation and i don't know i, I feel like there's uh, people are i wouldn't say disillusioned but um i don't know maybe maybe shedding the minimalism that 
haunted most of the 20th century a little bit and <laughs> yeah you know people want to see tool marks and they want to see something done by hand that looks like it was done mm -hmm. by hand and, um so anyway i am interested in doing more furniture with carved yeah. ornamentation um and not necessarily super traditional maybe yeah uh, maybe it's like really subtle and modern or you know there's a lot mm -hmm. of different ways you can go with it so yeah yeah because cool. a lot of your chip carving is definitely more on the contemporary side i mean you do do some traditional stuff and and mm -hmm. and uh that's great but yeah a lot of the a lot of the art pieces i see that really just stand back and i'm going wow or a lot of the more contemporary type stuff but yeah it is a lot of ornamentation that you wouldn't typically expect to find yeah 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 <laughs> sorry i was looking at the book there's some there's some patterns in there that just seem almost utterly impossible they're very very modern yeah. looking patterns well yeah and let's let's talk about the book um uh i guess i'll give my review and my review is i have a knife on order is coming in so <laughs> <laughs> yes i and was I shopping shopping yeah, for knives as i was flipping through the, the book yeah, too yeah i finally found a source because i wanted to get i forgot how you pronounce it because i heard you pronounce it and i went that's not the way oh. i would have pronounced it but the uh the swiss one that starts with a k uh well i don't know how you pronounce the i mean it has an umlaut right well, so yeah exactly i i just say closely i'm closely. pretty sure it's I'm not going to try. I'm not going to embarrass yeah. myself with terrible German here. Yeah, I, I had a, I had a time finding that knife. Um, mm -hmm. I found a place in Canada that had it, and I ordered it from them. And then uh, two days later, they sent me a refund. Uh, so <laughs> I went, okay, well, that's not working. But I finally found a place in Sweden called the Spoon Crank. And oh, yeah. Yeah, and they, they could ship it. And they had it. It's like 16 bucks, and it was like 9 bucks to ship. So... Mm. Not bad at all. You can, yeah. uh, you can order them directly from the Klotzli yeah. factory in Switzerland. Um, and I, I have been in. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that, them. but it was like almost 40 bucks. I mean, uh, 40 or yeah. 50 bucks from them. Yeah. And I happened yeah. to find this place. And I went, hmm, that's cool. Yeah, but, Kyle, you should have told me, man. We could have could have gone in on some shipping together. Oh, well, <laughs> I'll order I, I went ahead and ordered the stab knife too, since it was only sixteen bucks. <laughs> I know it's not utilized that much, but I figured, hey, what what the hell? Yeah, <laughs> might as well order it one. Well, I didn't know you. You should have contacted me. Or yeah, we, we, we should we should have right. MWA bulk order. I should have exactly. known. I should have known that you'd be on there ordering these knives, and we talked about you know how cool it was. So yeah, yeah, I should have said yeah. something. My fault. Yeah. My fault. Sorry. Well, anyway. Well, maybe we'll open up a store with Daniel. We'll sell them. We'll get them from <laughs> these guys and resell them. I'm sure there's nothing illegal about that. Uh, but well, but my anyway, solution to that is that I sell. Okay, I'm outing myself here. Oh well, everybody knows this anyway. If they mm -hmm. look at my website in my kits, I sell used knives. Right. That means that I have taken it out of the package and I used it to practice my sharpening, and I sharpen the daylights out of them. And that what that's what goes in the kit, right? So it's it's yeah. technically a used knife. It's not the same state that it comes from the factory. Um, it's exactly the way uh, it's sharpened. If I were going to start using it, mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if that's illegal or not. Um, <laughs> I would. That's like uh, that's like hot rodding a yeah. car. You know, like I wouldn't. Um, yeah. I wouldn't oh, call it a hot rodded knife. I don't think I'd call it a used knife. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's just, or, or like a dialed in knife or, yeah. you know. Yeah, when I went down the, uh, when I went down the knife, knife rabbit hole, I mean, I found uh, there are people out there modifying knives and selling those mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So, 
the moras yeah. are like that too people take them and do all kinds of crazy stuff mm-hmm. to them and um you know yeah. i i hope you're charging well, more I want... more than you paid for them like it's a, it's it's worth more after you get your hands on it than uh you know than something that comes in the mail yeah. so exactly yeah well um let's let's talk a little bit about the book so what inspired you to uh to write it uh, it's you know it's a it's a fascinating book it's highly i like i said if i'm buying knives and mark's buying knives it's a great book and everyone should go out there and get <laughs> get it but um what inspired yeah. you to write it um i got a i got a message from blue hills press mm-hmm. asking if i wanted to write a book about chip carving and i said yes oh. So <laughs> it seemed like the natural, uh, the natural thing to do, um, kind of given where I was with it. Uh, I had written an article for fine woodworking magazine about yeah. how to get started chip carving. That wasn't, that um, was just a few years ago, right? Two, three years. Yeah, ago. It was yeah. Uh, 2019. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so Matthew Teague at Blue Hills Press got in touch and asked me if I would be interested. And I said yes and um, um, started thinking about how to put it together and, and what I, you know, if I were starting over again, what I would want in a chip carving book and how not to rewrite somebody else's book and how to sort of include my, my take on on how to teach it and how to do it and the things i think are important without without too much regurgitation of information that's already out there mm-hmm. so that it's an actual contribution to the the greater sort of you know library of information on on that technique so yeah well it's, it's really great i like the way it flows uh from doing the simple exercises to the more complicated exercises to, okay, now we're going to change the angle you're cutting at, you know, and, you know, it's just a a general progression and um, absolutely love that. And I can't wait to dive in my next stop. I need to go and get one of those transfer irons. I found them on Amazon, but I've got a local art supply place at the same price. So I'm gonna go pick it up there. And then I have, uh, I got to go to the, go get some basswood. So yeah. I need a laser printer. That's my, that's oh, my big, I, I was going to ask that. It, it, <laughs> could, could you take those patterns and put them on a laser printer and laser them on a piece of wood? Onto the wood. Oh, yeah. So I've actually, yeah. Oh, you're talking about a laser. No, I was talking about like a, an actual paper printer to that. Oh, like a, oh, oh with, yeah. with toner and that sort of thing. Yeah. Oh, I have oh, one of those. All I have is yeah, inkjet. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, you could, that would be pretty cool to use a laser to kind of etch out those patterns. Be fast. I have, yeah, I've I've looked into that for printing the practice boards and mm-hmm. for doing pre-printed projects. It's a little tricky to dial in um, the right amount of burn uh, right. so that it does, the wood doesn't look charred because you you want a visible line, but you don't you don't need the wood actually engraved too deeply. You just need right. some printing on there. Um, I have a guy uh, here in town, a friend here in town, who um, I've worked on that with a little bit um, for the time being, I have, I'm going with a different method of doing small batch mass production. Um, I'm, I'm printing like old school block printing. Um, yeah. Carbon, what about like, silk boards right now? Silk screening. Yeah. That's the next, that's the next thing to try. Yeah. yeah. I haven't done it yet, but I, I do think that would be a little bit faster. Um, I bet, I bet you could get a t-shirt printing company to do it for you. 
like you know they just drop it into their you know and and the, right. you know there's a there's a company here in town that has a fully automated shirt printing system that's just insane mm -hmm. and uh i can't imagine it'd be too hard for them to just slip the block in there instead of a shirt um but yeah that's a good idea the other thing i'm trying to you know coming up with any product is like you know keeping the trying to balance uh the cost of production and um so i don't know what to call it i'm sure there's some business term for this but uh uh not keeping too much inventory on hand but having like the means of production uh at my disposal so that i can sort mm -hmm. of crank them out when i need and just, uh, just, I in, guess time. just in time yeah. uh yeah instead of uh just in case you know, just in case yeah. is the old now just in time is like basically you to get it right before you need it right yeah. right yeah so i'm still working out all that stuff because i'm not a, you know i'm not a uh i didn't really set out to be a supply store uh, <laughs> yeah. i don't really want to do that but i realized the value that holds for people who are learning from me and again like i said before i want to you know for, for the people who are interested um in reading the book and following and and you know maybe beyond book like the next book and the other things that i go on to do and share and teach uh i do like the idea that there's a there's a direct sort of correlation of, of like what they're working with like tools materials projects you know because it it just it makes communication and helping them get from point a to point b that much easier if i know that they got you know whatever they're working on for me because i know exactly what it is mm -hmm. right exactly well so one question all that I, yeah one question i had for you is uh regarding the book is you know you talk about in the book the swiths method of chip carving so mm -hmm. how is that different from some of the other types of carving methods like you see like a peter fallensby or somebody like that now i know it's he uses a lot of gouges and mallets and stuff like that but and you're using a knife but are there other different types of knife type of chip carving other than the swiss method yeah um i think you know i was actually reading about that recently um i was trying to pinpoint when the term swiss chip carving was coined um the, my my best guess is that in modern sort of modern usage in the united states at least is it, it probably goes back to the books of Wayne Barton. Um, okay. No relation. <laughs> no relation that I know of. Okay. <laughs> um, I think his first book was, uh, I'm not exactly sure the date. I'm pretty sure it was early 80s. Um, mm. But he studied, he studied carving in Switzerland. Mm. Um, and he uses the term Swiss method or Swiss chip carving in his first book. Um, but it, it also, you know, it probably goes back a little bit further than that because the, the knife style that is associated with the, the design of the knife, that's associated with Swiss chip carving. Um, the modern, uh, the modern version of that design was sort of, uh, solidified in the fifties in Switzerland between the closely, um, well, he's the, the grandfather of the man who owns the closely knife makers now. Mm -hmm. um, his name was Ernst Closely, and I think it was around the mid '50s. Sometimes he worked with a Swiss carver named Christian Christian Ruby, um, and they developed this knife that they began mass producing. Um, so 
I think that's probably one of the other pieces of the puzzle about how the term Swiss chip carving came to, you know, be what we think of it now. But there, there are there are other um, sort of technical uh, technical methods and technical disciplines that would fall under the the, the term chip carving um, that don't use a knife like that. So there's um, skew knife chip carving. You see a lot in Eastern Europe. Um, and in Russia, the Balkans, mm-hmm. um, probably elsewhere, there's, uh, there's okay, a, that, that makes sense because when yeah. I did go, go down that knife, uh, rabbit hole, I did notice there are a lot of different types of knives that they were calling chip carving knives and now yeah, they would be yeah. a skew type variety. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But there are other tools from other parts of the world that you see used in chip carving. Uh, there's a knife. Well, it, it's kind of a cross between like, uh, a knife and a chisel uh, you see used in North Africa. It, it, it looks like a, it looks like a, um, it's kind of got like a Stanley Sweetheart chisel, uh, butt chisel handle shape, but uh-huh. the, the blade comes out into like a fishtail. And um, it's used, it's not used with a mallet though. It's used with two hands and, and pushed um, huh. with two hands with, you know, one of your hands wrapped around the handle and the other is sort of, uh, enforcing the pushing and the, when I've seen it done they're they're usually standing at a table or a bench and sort of using their body weight to mm-hmm. you know, do shearing cuts and and um, pairing cuts a, a, across the grain and um, so there's you know I think there's probably no end to what people have used to mm-hmm. to do incised geometric um, carving around mm-hmm. the world over the time in wood um, Probably everything you can imagine. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would say the Swiss style knife and skew knives uh, of one sort or of the other are uh, probably the most popular. Right. Okay. And tell me a little bit about the types of wood you can you can perform this type of chip carving in. Uh, well, basswood is um, mm-hmm. that's that's probably the biggest one. That's the one to go to if you're a beginner. Mm-hmm. Um, it's soft. It's straight grained. Usually. Uh, it's very um, sort of even, uh, evenly colored. Usually, sometimes there's discoloration or pin knots, but um, it's it's very pretty wood. Uh, it's very light colored. Um, it's very light. It's pretty inexpensive, and it carves mm-hmm. really well. So um, with a uh, you know with you don't have to use a chisel and mallet to carve basswood. Right. You can. I can take one of those knives and sink the blade a full half inch into the surface just with my, you know, just with Mm -hmm. hand pressure. Right. Mm -hmm. So that makes it ideal for um, Swiss style chip carving because you're using a knife. You're not using a chisel and mallet. Um, Everything you're doing is with, um, you know, leverage and body mechanics. Um, So basswood is probably number one. Uh, White pine. um, They're several different varieties of pine yeah um i i assume not my southern yellow pine that's you know, I, love, <laughs> I, have a, I have a warm warm place in my heart for southern yellow pine but it is not a carving wood no it's not chainsaw carving maybe yeah yeah back in the day i did a <laughs> seat chainsaw blank. carving yeah yeah back in the day i did a seat blank out of southern yellow pine i did that once only once yeah one time um butternut you can carve poplar you can, I mean, you hypothetically, you, you could chip carve any wood. Yeah. You just can't chip carve it with, you can't chip carve every wood with 
any uh, technical method, right? So mm-hmm. there's chip carving in in white oak, but it was done with uh, chisels, which were struck by mallets, right. or you know, yeah. or or gouges, or um, mm-hmm. e tools, or you know. So yeah, you could chip carve anything. It's just uh, it's a matter of um, balancing the the nature of the wood itself with the tool you're using and the scale at which you want to carve. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, but the Swiss Swiss method is usually uh, regulated to some of your, like you said, your 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 poplars, your pines, your. I guess you could probably do. Could you do cherry? You can. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, there's a great carver on Instagram who carves in cherry and boxwood sometimes. Um, oh gosh, I think his name is mm-hmm. Luis Celesa. I can't remember exactly what his last name is. He makes a lot of uh, sort of, um, he's in Spain, and he makes reproductions of medieval spoons, boxes, uh, little castanets, um, uh, flutes, all sorts of stuff. But he does a combination of sort of low relief and chip carved work. And he Mm. carves in cherry occasionally. I don't know how, uh, he's really, really talented. Um, I have tried a little bit of knife carving in cherry um it's a it's a workout you have to have a very sharp knife wow well i wonder if he's doing it in in, um european cherry because i i to my understanding that's a little bit different than the cherry we have oh maybe so yeah yeah Uh, yeah um anyway uh parent i don't i don't know that for a fact i've just heard that the the main attribute i've heard about it so i assume there's other attributes that are different is that it doesn't uh turn as dark as our cherry does over time it's lighter so i assume there are other attributes but hmm. yeah well cool well tell us i think i mentioned a little bit about it about the progression in the book as far as starting out with with some more your more simpler tasks because you got to learn you know how to hold the knife the different types of grips that you need and you progress you know like i said deeper into it where you learn hey to vary your angle and uh do some um I guess freehand type carving and things of that mm-hmm. nature. So, how did you come up with that progression? Is this? Uh, let's see. I guess the first few chapters, um, up until you get to the chapter that's called first projects. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple, uh, or I guess including a couple of the projects that are in that chapter. That first half is sort of a um, a condensation of um, the way I teach in person. So, mm-hmm. if I do a two day class you're going to get in person what is in the first half of the book, basically. Okay. Um, talk about tools and materials. What do you need um, or what are you using? And um, some basics of technique, um, how to hold the knife, the sort of standard grips that you use to actually do the work, safety. Um, and then the technique is learned and expanded on um through two practice boards. And um, it starts very simple and it gets a little bit more complex. And the shapes that you learn to carve in the practice board are then applied in the chapter called First Projects, which is about nine or 10 projects, which uh, also are fairly simple to start with. Um, and they give you a, um, you know, I think I, I say in the book, there's there's like a, um, uh, 
there's a difference between carving a practice board and carving a, a something that you intend to be a, a finished decorative piece. I can right? imagine, yes. You don't, you don't <laughs> want to screw up, right? So, Hucker factor that, goes way up. Yeah. 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 That, that pressure, I've just found that that pressure is, is when applied in a, in a simple, you know, on a simple project when you're just getting started is really, really good because mm -hmm. you, you pay attention, you know, it just, it turns your attention on, you know, yeah. cause you, you want to do well, right? You're thinking and, through each cut before you make it. And yeah. Yeah. That's when you're and like, you man, I, I wish I had done those practice boards now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Maybe you know, I should go back and you, finish those. <laughs> see one, do one. Mistake, it will be, it will be like one of the most memorable lessons you'll ever get, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so it builds from, you know, tools, materials, technique, practice boards, to the you know beginner to intermediate uh, intermediary projects, um, and then things get a little more complicated. I go into um, compound chips, which is just uh, a, a way of saying like chips that um, two and three sided uh, chips that intersect to form more complex shapes. Um, in that same chapter, I go through lettering because if you think about it, lettering yeah. carved lettering is all B grooved, you know chip mm -hmm. shapes that intersect with one another um makes me it makes and, me think of yeah. uh, dave fisher when i see the lettering stuff and his yeah. the way he carves yeah, it yeah he's a fantastic lettering carver yeah yeah, yeah it reminds me of some uh um a guy here locally i know that does some lettering and i've seen his setup to do the lettering and he has like well, he does a lot of stuff in harder woods, I guess, but mm -hmm. you know, he has like a whole suite of chisels and gouges and stuff like that to do the lettering. And I was like, sure, yeah. You're doing all this with one knife. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's made possible in part just by uh the wood, the kind of wood that right. I'm carving. You know, I'm carving pretty soft woods. So, you know, the difference between a knife and a and a um uh, a a V-shaped gouge is uh, you're going to have to make two cuts for every mm -hmm. V-groove, you know, chip that you remove. Um, but you can you can be you can have some pretty good, uh, you know, can, there's a facility that comes with learning to, to do the curves. You can do some pretty, uh, you know, pretty complex shapes with just the knife in the right yeah. kind of woods. Yeah. That, that it, it is very impressive. Well, tell us a little bit. So we talked a little bit about the chip carving knife, probably too deeply, but me and Mark were we're we're, we're in depth into getting these I, knives. I had some Fan boring. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, are there any other tools or accessories that you that you recommend for a chip carver or someone that's interested? Um, yeah. Well, I guess sharpening stuff, which really just brings up the the separate and sort of. Um, yeah. supporting discipline of learning to sharpen mm -hmm. right so mm -hmm. for for a beginner even for some experienced people um learning to sharpen uh, a chip carving knife can be a little bit tricky because it's the way that i do the blade geometry on my knives is uh i think wayne barton describes the same style of blade geometry um which is that you don't have a hard bevel um, right. it's not a flat grind it's a um it's a a, a convex, um, you know, gradual slope down from the sides of the knife to the edge, right? Mm -hmm. So your bevel is rounded over. Right. Um, and I also try to get, um, I don't say an absolute mirror finish. It doesn't have to be a, a perfect mirror polish, but I do get it 
pretty darn close. Mm-hmm. Um, can I, that's can so I ask? The, okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're just about to answer my question. Go ahead. Uh, that's so that the, the knife slides through the wood, one, and it'll also um, compress the fibers a little bit as you're carving. So you get like a slight burnishing effect on the facets of the chips in basswood, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're nice, your knife is nice and polished. I had know? a feeling it would make for a cleaner cut. And that was going to be the, the reason, but polishing is for even sure. better. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah, sharpening gear, I guess, is the answer to your question. Yeah. I would get it and learn how to use sharpening gear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I assume if you're a knife sharpener or know how to sharpen knives, it's probably going to be a lot easier for you than if you're someone that, say, I do my you know chisels and plain blades and then put the micro bevel. That's not going to work in this case. you got to really have that uh, convex type of uh, geometry to the edge. Right. You might be able to use the same gear, though, depending on what you, oh, yeah. and what your rig is. Um, I mean, yeah, I yeah. use just like DMT diamond stones at home, and then I finish up mm-hmm. on a couple different like peel and stick grits, and then mm-hmm. I use a strop. And that's all the same stuff that I would use, uh, or same materials, basically, that I would use to sharpen my plane blades. I just, uh, yep. it's a different technique. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Well, I'll, I'll be learning it. I have sharpened a few knives, so I don't Hopefully the learning curve is not going to be too steep for me, but we'll we'll see how it goes. But I have all the sharpening equipment, so if not, yeah. um, how much are your knives? No. <laughs> You're gonna be buying that kit. Yeah. There's a, there's a there's a pretty detailed you know breakdown yeah. of what I do and like yeah. the, the kind of oh. geometry you're going for. And oh yeah, yeah. What's in the book is fantastic, and and um, but um, that's not all you have out there. Tell us a little bit about your uh, Patreon. So you have a few different tiers in Patreon where you can, um, anyway, well, instead of me telling you about it, why don't you tell us about it? So. <laughs> I, do, I do have a Patreon. Um, I am, I think the tiers have started to mean less and less to me. I'm thinking about okay. revamping the whole thing and just into a single tier. Okay. Um, so currently you can pay, I think it's like $3 a month and I give you a carving pattern once a month. Um, <clears throat> or you can pay like $6 a month and you get all the videos and stuff that I, I share at this point. Um, I don't really like the tiered system to be honest with you. I, right. I'd rather just like, I would rather just have a, you know, one and done kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. if you're interested in learning more, give me this much a month and you all get the same thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I'm probably going to be revamping that at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a, Patreon is a, it's a funny thing. I think it's, it's valuable. Um, uh, I don't love it. I gotta be honest. I don't love it in terms of it being a library or a repository for things that mm-hmm. people are paying a, a little bit of money every month to get. It's not a great library. You know, it's, it kind of looks like a blog, which is great. So, um, I'm, I'm working on some ways to expand that so that if you join my Patreon, you're not just getting the basically newsletter style posts that go out every so often, right. but you would get access to a, a, a members only section of my website. Um, yeah, I'm, that makes sense. I've built the video library in my website. It's not open yet, um, but that is kind of something I've been working on in the background. Um and haven't really told too many people about, but I guess they're going to know now. That's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I uh, I like Patreon. I get okay. So here's my deal with Patreon. Okay, 
my frame of reference for communicating, sharing things with people is Instagram. And Instagram is great for that. I mean, it's like mm -hmm. a giant show and tell. Like the craft world in Instagram is amazing, right? Because mm -hmm. you can meet anybody you want to. They tell you stuff that going on in their shop you can see how they do things you can buy things from them you can take classes you learn about classes with them whatever you learn about that they wrote a book um and there's feedback i don't know how y'all's patreon goes but um i just i i feel like i'm just throwing things into a void yeah. <laughs> um, where i don't i don't feel like that with instagram so um i've always been a little ambivalent about patreon um but also, if you're listening to yeah. this and you support my Patreon, thank you. Thank you. I really yes. do appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's the way we feel. And and there are people out there that that uh, are doing that to support you. And and yeah, yeah, we we absolutely appreciate those folks. But yeah, I think there yeah. there's not quite the engagement out there. It's yeah. not really set up. Um, you know, it was it was handy to note that um, you know, we post our episodes up on Patreon ahead of time. So you get, you know, uh, mm -hmm. usually a week to a few days uh, before it actually goes live. And yeah. I did have, I did have one of our patrons uh, reach out to me and goes, how come I didn't get this episode early? And I'm like, Oh, darn it. I forgot to post it on Patreon. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so at least yeah. I know one of our patrons is, is, uh, is taking advantage of that, but you know, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's not really, it's not set up to do what you're doing. And I think you got a good idea there about incorporating it into your website and being one of the perks. I think that'll probably work out well and you'll probably get more engagement back and forth because, you know, yeah. even if you are a patron, you know, which I am of several folks, it's not really a place that I feel, you know, that comfortable, you know, messaging somebody. Usually I'll just DM them through Instagram, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Have any of y'all, uh, have they extended, has Instagram extended the subscription option to either of you or any of y'all? Uh, Caleb James, Caleb mm -hmm. James had that yeah. for a little while, but I think, I think he might've gotten frustrated with sort of a lack of, of conversion you know and yeah. so i don't know if he has also has a patreon page um but um and i could see if you had those two th competing against each other that might be a problem but but yeah, yeah. um yeah, i mean if you have if you have a level of uh you know su subscription on instagram and it's a small number of people that just gives you so much more work to do for a very small yes. audience so yeah I, yeah I don't think i don't think the take rate's very high unless you have a very large following it's yeah, great is very poor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know, that's I don't know, that's one of those things that uh, it makes me miss teaching classes in person because that's really just what I like. That's what mm -hmm. I like doing. Um, so the pandemic. Well, are, are you gearing up? To, yeah, are you gearing up to uh, teach some more classes? Yeah, so I am teaching a three-week sort of mini course in chip carving here in Knoxville, Tennessee, at the shared shop. Um, that I work out of, and um, then a, a full day class on October 1st. Um, I think I'm gonna be teaching, I think it's in April at the John C. Campbell Folk School. Um, mm -hmm. Looking forward to that. That's a week long class. We're gonna be doing mangle boards, which uh, is a project in the very end of the book. Um, so, 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 so you're gonna take someone in a week from, I've never done this before, to the mangle boards? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Can do it. Yeah. All right. 
uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, um, I say throw people into the fire. Like, yeah. I, you know, uh, it's it's a folk art. Any, mm-hmm. Anyone and everyone can and has done it. Um, right. So I, I'm, I'm, I am pro uh, uh, jumping into the deep end when it comes to teaching people things and learning things myself and um, creative work. I just think there's no, there's no like drawback to it. Um, and mm-hmm. in my classes, um, I just don't think I've ever had anyone who regretted me pushing them to, you know, do something that they thought was beyond right. their technical capability. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're going to do mangle boards. They're going right. to learn chip carving on a Monday and then by Friday, hopefully um, go home with, with a, uh, with a, a thing that they can put on the walls. That, that is fantastic. That's worth yeah. the price of admission right there. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So uh, yeah. Oh, one thing I forgot to uh, mention on your Patreon. If anyone's interested in uh, becoming a patron to Daniel, go out there and check out his page because you have a couple of posts that are live that anybody can uh look at it's including a couple of videos and uh yeah you actually yeah yeah yeah. and those are great so you can kind of you know get a preview of what you're going to get on patreon today and maybe Mm -hmm. on your website later on down the road i just wanted to make sure i mentioned that well so tell us a little bit about um you said you you mentioned on your website you sell kits so what all what all are the kits that you're selling currently now um yeah, so the kits are are aimed at people who who really um, are starting from scratch. Um, so there's a knife um, that I have personally sharpened in the same way that I sharpen my own knives. Um, there is a small sh- uh, sharpening kit which includes two polished marble tiles with um, um, four grits of peel and stick abrasive 3m abrasive for sharpening and then a, a replacement set of those four grits um there's a strop like a leather strop a piece of strop compound uh the practice boards uh, and i recently updated this um in in my kits the practice boards that are coming with the kits now match the ones that are in the book whereas before i was using a different set of uh, practice boards and then there are two of the um beginning projects um, from the book that are also in the kit. And what else? Um, a little non-skid map because uh, it's it's good to keep things from moving mm. around on your table. Yeah. I think that's it. Um, although, so that is gonna be changing a little bit because like I said, I'm revamping. So um, mm. sort of re- overhauling the kit. So yeah. a couple little things are gonna, gonna change, but it will it be at least all of that stuff in the new kit. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, yeah. maybe you should, put in a copy of the book too and that would be a fantastic christmas present for some woodworkers out there yeah so um i haven't quite figured out how it's going to work yet but probably sometime um between now and the and the holiday season i'll put together uh bundles for buying kits and books Mm -hmm. possibly uh, i'm sort of kicking around some ideas for like uh, other projects ready-made uh, or pre-printed projects from the book that you can sort of expand your kit, like a little expansion pack or something like that. So, um, yeah, I'm getting all that stuff uh, sorted out as quickly as one person can right now. So figuring out sourcing wood and milling yeah. um, parts and printing all that stuff. 
Well, well, it sounds like you're definitely on top of it. So that's great. That's fantastic. Well, let's move on. Tell us a little bit about your your chip carving projects, the art pieces you do and boxes and, and whatnot. So, um, I mean, primarily when you're doing chip carving, you're doing these art pieces, correct? These days, yeah. yeah. Um, that seems to be um, the case. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of large carved panel pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and most of them are... Um, uh, there's some that I, I haven't, you know, there's, they're still in the studio. I don't know if they'll ever make it out of the studio or photographs of them will ever make it out of the studio. But, um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of ex have been experimenting with more using the knife, like a mark making tool. And that's kind of the crux of my take on chip carving is that it, that's what it is. It's not sculpture. It's not relief carving. Um, it is a style of subtractive mark making. Mm -hmm. So sort of reconceptualizing it that way hasn't, you know, is what inspires me to do uh, some of the things I do with it. And so I'm treating panels as canvases and the knife as a brush or, or you know, mm -hmm. stylus or something. Kind of. Yeah. Well, I love the pieces, especially the uh, the painted pieces that you're actually, I guess you're using milk paint as a, basically a top coat on your wood. And then when you make the chip carving, it, you know, the, the, the wood underneath, the natural wood just pops. And yeah, that is, yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. Now, are you, now, when you get done with a piece like that, is are you actually uh, putting a finish on top of that? Like a, it depends on the piece. I've, I'm still, okay. you know, I think everyone I do is a little bit different. I've been trying mm -hmm. a lot of different things so yeah i noticed when um, you were coloring in some of the chips that you made that mm -hmm. that looked fantastic too yeah that's a recent uh development um on a larger piece that i've been working on um actually hand hand coloring the the, the chip the chip pockets um after i finished carving the whole thing um i've tried uh i played around with pigmented oil finishes as well mm -hmm. um, after the carving is done uh, pigmented oil finishes over a painted panel that's been carved um, to get a relief, you know, so uh, mill, mill the, or make the panel, paint it, finish it with oil, carve through the oiled paint, and then a pigmented oil finish on top of that once it's carved. Um, I've tried painting, you know, I just try lots of different things. Right. Like everyone just about turns out different. Um, mm -hmm. I've tried dry pigment, working dry pigment, uh, dry powdered pigment back into the carving and then sealing it. Um, yeah, I'm always uh, experimenting with different ways to uh, relieve or highlight different parts of the carving. So. Yeah. Well, well, they're outstanding work. Uh, congratulations on that. Now, how big are these pieces in general? Or do they, um, or do they vary immensely? I don't know. Yeah, there's a range. Um, I did a series, sort of a series of studies. All of them were, uh, I don't know, about like maybe 15 by 22, something like that. Um, and then the one I'm working on at home right now is about uh, 40 inches wide by 30 inches tall. So pretty wow. big. Yeah. Um, I have some more large panels ready to go um, for some other pieces I've planned. Um, I'm doing a, I'm doing one of the smaller pieces as a commission right now at home. Um, sometimes I do really tiny pieces on, on scrap 
that I have that like people just don't ever see. I don't share a lot of the stuff that I I do at home because it's it's like um it's like a sketch like sketchbook. It's essentially right. what well, the equivalent mm-hmm. of sketchbook work, right? So um but yeah, they they vary in size. I'm I'm more drawn yeah. to the larger ones these days. Yeah. Well, now do you do most of your chip carving there in your shared shop or at home? I I carve at home usually. Okay. Because I have good daylight there. Yeah. I have a lot of good daylight here at the shop. Yeah. And it seems like it would get a little loud and chip carving seems like something you want to put the music on and kind of get in that Zen state Mm -hmm. and just go. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We're approaching window weather here pretty soon. So I'm really looking forward (laughs) to that. (laughs) Well, fantastic. Well, is there anything else you'd like to promote that we hadn't touched on? Oh, I, I do want to do like an entire course based on the book, you know, that sort of extrapolates on chapter by chapter, introducing the tools and materials, the technique, going through every line of the practice boards, going through the projects. Um, That's kind of on my docket. Um, Let's see. I mentioned John C. Campbell next year. um, Mm -hmm. Where where is John C. Campbell? Where is that located? Uh, It's in North Carolina. Um, I don't actually know where it is. I, it's not the first <laughs> time it's been mentioned on the show, and I always have to look it back up because I've never been. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, um, Gabe Strand, if you're listening to this, please forgive me for not knowing where your school is. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe uh, he should come uh, on the show. Yes. Maybe he should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we can put him on the list. Uh, yeah, I can't think of anything else. Um, you know, just uh, people, um, you know, giving attention to the book, buying the book, um asking me about it like i'm i'm definitely interested in if you know if people have questions or they want to know anything or they want to get the book or that kind of stuff like that's what i i'm i'm mostly spending my time and energy on these days right making sure the book uh gets out there so if you're mm-hmm. listening and you got questions hit me up yes yes please do it's, and it's a beautiful book it's uh it's just such a great thing to to just leaf through and read and yeah i mean it was uh really appreciate you sending us a copy to take a look at before the interview oh so, very exactly yeah, yeah. And, and it you know looks looks like to me just what the doctor ordered is something that hey you know i just want to spend an hour or two in the shop and i just want to mm-hmm. do something like i said get in that zen state and just do something it looks like that is something that i can do and will be um very therapeutic and take some of the stress out of my retired life <laughs> and before you know it it's been three hours and you're exactly uh, for your appointment <laughs> yeah. yeah no yeah. that's how it works yeah yeah exactly well like, like i said congratulations on the book it's a fine book thank you thank and you uh let's move on to our fortnightly beer choices so i'll start us off and i'm recommending murphy's irish stout I'm actually drinking Guinness, but I'm recommending Murphy's. <laughs> uh, Murphy's, I have to travel on almost all all the way to Houston to find, but uh, Guinness, I can get right around the corner. But yeah, if you have the choice, uh, Guinness is a fine beer, but uh, if you have the choice, Murphy's is a superior stout. So Mark, what are you drinking? I, I'm drinking water tonight. I uh, Is it a hazy some- water? No, well, it's, no, it's clear. It's, clear. it's uh, gin clear Ozark water is what that is. Uh, no, I just, I've had some headaches the last couple of days and I took oh, some ibu- yeah. ibuprofen this afternoon. I said, eh, maybe I'll, I'll hold off on the yeah. alcohol tonight. But uh, I, I still have, I've been saving one can of bat squatch to, uh, 
to drink tonight. So maybe maybe next time. Okay. <laughs> well, what's it called? Bat Bat Squatch. Oh, it's called Bat Squatch. It's by Rogue Brewing. Oh, okay. Uh, which is out of Washington, I think, or maybe yeah. Oregon. I'm not sure which, but yeah, it's a great uh, hazy IPA. So I've been right. I enjoyed the first five pans. Now it's <clears throat> I'm saving the last one for the show. So <laughs> how about you, Brian? Oh. Uh, I'm drinking a, a beer called All Nelson Everything. It's uh, from the Other Half Brewery, which is on the east, oh. the east coast here, New York, D.C. area. Um, oh, yeah. It's like, no, I've talked about them, maybe not with on you on the show, but yeah, that's some of the best IPAs I've had is from the other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they're, they're really good. Um, this one is a double dry hop IPA, um, and it's a little, little potent at 8.5%. Yes. So. <laughs> All their beers are a little potent. It yeah. Seems like. Yeah, they have. I mean, they do have um, a couple sessions session IPAs yeah. that, are, that are like you know 4.7 whatever uh but this is pretty good yeah but i i've not had a bad other half mm-hmm. uh beer yet yep D- daniel how about you i am repping knoxville with a uh uh it's a session ipa called summer splash from a local brewery called crafty bastard oh. um it's pretty good so we have uh we have a kegerator here at the shop and we have a tap <laughs> set nice. into the wall in the in the um the break room. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty common occurrence here at the end of the day or end of the week. Yes. Uh, to sit around after we clean the shop and have a beer. Can you get bearded Iris where you are? Or is that more Nashville area? I don't know. I don't know that beer. It's a, yeah, bearded Iris. It's uh last time I was in Hendersonville, uh, we picked up a bunch to bring up here and it, it was pretty good. Hmm. Um, if I, uh, another one that I drink a lot at home is, uh, Wiseacre brewery out of memphis um they have a american pilsner called tiny bomb that's one of my favorites oh okay i'll have to look that i've seen the beer in my store so i guess their distribution at least comes down to here so interesting yeah Yeah, there's a lot of good beer in tennessee yeah i have well i have to tell you a little story last time i was on my way to uh greg pennington's place uh we brought our tesla and i had a supercharge in knoxville and the supercharger was packed so i had a wait line and i'm looking over to my right and i see the guy in the back of the tesla drinking a pbr i'm thinking i didn't like i didn't even know they made that you know and then uh mm-hmm. you know a few minutes later we all get backed in and then he and i tend to we were right next to each other and i was getting something out of the trunk and i, I always bring beer down to greg's place and i i said to the guy i'm like i can't take it anymore so i gave him a, a heady topper out of vermont you know really good beer and and the guy just cracked it open right in the middle of the parking lot and just started pounding, <laughs> pounding <laughs> beer and knock <laughs> I'm like Knoxville is a cool place. These people are all right. <laughs> was he a was he a passenger? He was a passenger. Uh, was he a passenger yeah. Was a okay. Yeah. Just yeah. Just so, yeah I, I, as far as I know, that's that's legal in in Tennessee. You can you can drink open, as a open passenger. Open Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Oh man, <laughs> like Louisiana. Yeah. 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 That is a great story. Well, let's move on to uh, where folks can find you. So, where can they find you on the interweb, Daniel? Um, the best place. To, to you know, stay in, up to date with everything that I'm doing is probably Instagram, and mm-hmm. it's just at Daniel Clay. Um, my website is DanielClayWoodworking.com. Uh, let's see, you can you can look on Twitter. I don't really post that much. I will. It's usually just me regurgitating something that I've already put yep. on Instagram, just to stay relevant. I guess I don't know how relevant it is, but um. <laughs> <laughs> um Throw things out there. I, I think I, I, you know, it's a slightly different crowd out there. So it's, um, I, I still have a Twitter. Um, Instagram is is probably the best place. Though. Okay, Mark, what about yourself? 
and Patreon. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Patreon. Patreon. Yeah. Yes. Let's not forget yes. Patreon. What is the what is the the suffix for your Patreon? Patreon.com oh, uh, forward slash. Uh, yep, Daniel Clay. Yep. Yeah, Daniel. I'm, I'm just gonna make sure that's the case. Yeah, yeah, that is the case. I think so. I verified <laughs> yeah, okay. that. Yep. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you. yeah, and I'm impressed that you got all the Daniel Clays out there. That's that's pretty impressive. I couldn't get DanielClay.com. Yeah, I really, uh, I wanted to, but um, it's it's held by uh, this guy who's like a, a Catholic mystic, does like prophecies and stuff. So <laughs> there's another thing. So that's not you. Yeah, yeah. I thought maybe. <laughs> maybe that was something you did other podcasts. Side about. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> That's that's yeah. gonna run our our five questions episode. <laughs> <laughs> See the future in his chip carvings. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, Mark. What about yourself? Uh, uh, for all things workbench or shave horse, um, you can find me at plate11.com. I'm at Mark Built It on Instagram. Plate Eleven Woodworking on YouTube. Or if you're uh, looking to learn some hand tool skills, JointEffort.net. Uh, how about you, Kyle? Uh, you can always find me on Instagram at barton.kyle or at bbcustomtools, bbcustomtools.com, or on YouTube under bbcustomtools and Kyle Barton. And I actually might have a new video up in the next month or so. Um, <laughs> anyway, Brian, what about yourself? Uh, pretty much just on Instagram at obst, O-B-S-T, Woodworks on Instagram. Hey, I'm looking for a new... Um, a new short from you. Yeah, I know. I got got a couple good audios. Um, one that I'm just dying to use. Okay. Um, so I gotta I gotta get a little bit of free time. Hopefully this weekend. Now, now that my daughter ballet daughter, I'm not drive around everywhere anymore. Yeah. So maybe I'll have a little more time. Exactly. So do we have any reviews this week? We do. We have a, a lot of reviews. Uh, not a big surprise with uh, Christopher Schwarz on the show last week and the week before. Um, so under hatchet says he's looking forward to listening uh ss uh look at this guy he puts hats on cats and lives to tell the tale i think that might be a reference to the the photograph um yes that we posted for the episode chef moray says he's been waiting for this bill's yard says thanks for your company this afternoon another great listen Good to get an insight to what happened. What's happening at Lost Art Press? Not sure about a chair cult, more of a brotherhood. So I guess we were speaking of the chair cult uh, yes. on the show. Uh, Jason Barreal says it's a great episode. Robert Tolnai, looking forward to listening to this podcast. Uh, Lickle Markey, right? That's going to be one to sit and listen to without interruptions. We got a round of applause from Boy Resistant. And uh, Jay Bauer Engraving says, this podcast, Anne of All Trade Shop, Greg Pennington Windsor's Shop, Lost Art Press is everywhere this week. And of course, Anne replied to say that he's everywhere always. And uh, <laughs> I think I made a similar comment uh, when, I, when he showed up at uh, Pennington's place. I was like, man, you went from podcasting to chair making in, you know, in Tennessee and in one day. So yeah, uh, it's good to see him out and about. So I wonder what's, what's happening down there, what, what might be developing in that neck of the woods. Hmm. Uh, or they could just I be going know. to pet the goats, you know, like, I don't know yeah. what's <laughs> anyway. thanks for your reviews. Uh, yes. We really appreciate them. Uh, don't be afraid to go over to uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave us a review there. That'll, that really helps uh, bring other people uh, to the podcast and, and gets us some new listeners. So keep up the good mm -hmm. work folks. And that just about wraps it up for this show. 
If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review. You can follow us on Instagram at MWA underscore podcast. And if you'd like to support the podcast, go over to patreon.com slash MWA podcast. But the best thing you can do is tell a friend. Word of mouth goes a long way in sharing our discussion.